Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you here in Hailsham, although we have some rather unusual circumstances, which I guess we're getting used to bit by bit. I've just got to imagine all your beautiful faces out there, and I'm sure you're in your homes, wherever you are, in your bedroom, in your study, in your lounge. It's great to be with you um, this morning. I'm going to uh, read a passage from the Bible, and then I want us to look at the significance of the resurrection. We've just um, celebrated Easter, one of the most important days, the most important day, in fact, in the church's calendar. And we can suddenly quickly move on from that and say, right, let's get on into our other series, and without realizing the full significance of the resurrection. So I want to um, look at the significance of the resurrection today. Let me read a section of this famous passage from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 to 20. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, <clears throat> if it is true that Christ has not been raised from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep have perished. If in, this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. <clears throat> The resurrection is such a foundational doctrine. It is the foundation of the Christian life and it is the foundation of the church. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and so is your faith. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that he rose from the dead. More than that, we are still in our sins, and those who are died are lost. If only in this life we've hoped in Christ, we of all pity, we of all people are most to be pitied. We've given our lives to a hoax, we've believed a lie, we've proclaimed a lie, we are most to be pitied. A desperate situation. But the Bible goes on to say, but, but, this is one of the big buts, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And it was the feature of the early preaching. Their preaching, I'm going in my own reading at the moment through the book of Acts, and their preaching consisted of three things. You crucified Jesus, God raised him, we are witnesses to that fact. And the church was born on the foundation of this amazing resurrection doctrine that Jesus rose historically on the third day in a physical body. <clears throat> now I want to address this subject of the resurrection 
under two headings. And then I want to come on to a, a way which can practically help us in this day as we're coping with very, very strange um, situation with our fears and uncertainties and coronavirus. It was very much what they were facing in these days. I want to address it, first of all, under the, the resurrection, under the heading, the verdict, and then secondly, the vindication. First of all, then, the verdict on the Good Friday, crucify Jesus of Nazareth, kill him, crucify, crucify. He, first of all, then, he was condemned by the Jews. He was condemned by the Jews because he claimed to be the Son of God. In Matthew, we read this, the high priest said to Jesus, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, yes, it is as you have replied, as you have said. Then the high priest tore his robes, he's spoken blasphemy, and you've heard his blasphemy, he is worthy of death. And that was their verdict, he's worthy of death. But the Jews were not in a position to crucify Jesus because they lived under Roman jurisdiction, Roman law. They had to get permission from the Romans, and they had to present their case to the Romans to be crucified. And so, they took Jesus and presented him to the Romans, and he was actually executed by the Romans, and the Jews brought the accusation of one of sedition, that this Jesus claims to be a king, and in doing so, he's setting up a rival kingdom to Caesar. The Jews said to Pilate, if you let this man go, then you are not a friend of Caesar's. And Pilate was obviously very nervous when he heard this, and uh, he tried to remain neutral, but his neutrality failed. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They shouted back, no, we have no king but Caesar. And in the end, Pilate succumbed to their intimidation and he ordered Jesus to be crucified. So he was condemned by the Jews. He was executed by the Romans. But thirdly, he was also forsaken by God the Father. God could have sent a legion of angels to rescue him. But Isaiah 53 tells us this, that it was the Lord's will to put him to death. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, reciting Psalm 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we see that he was condemned by religion. He was condemned by politics, the Romans. He was condemned by his father. He was condemned by man and by God. The verdict on Good Friday, this Jesus of Nazareth, crucify, crucify, kill him. We do not want this Jesus among us. But wonderfully, the Bible doesn't finish with the Good Friday. It takes us through to Easter Sunday, which is that glorious, glorious, glorious day, the vindication of, of Christ, Easter Day. And the resurrection was actually a reversal of the verdict of Good Friday. It totally turned it on its head. It, it turned it upside down. It was a total reversal. It was God vindicating His Son. <clears throat> he was, first of all, raised 
as son of God. The Jews crucified him, condemned him because he said he was son of God, but now we read in Romans that he was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection. On the resurrection morning, there was a great earthquake, shook the whole earth. An angel came and rolled the stone away, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And the Roman guards, they trembled and they became as dead men. There was an empty tomb. This, this was a, this was a, a, a national uh, proclamation. Wow, something huge has happened here. It wasn't something which quietly just disappeared. No, it was an announcement from heaven. The earthquake, the empty tomb, the angels and the guards like dead men. And the declaration was, Jesus is risen from the dead. It was a proof. It was a vindication to the world. <clears throat> and it reminds us that, that the resurrection of Christ is not something we teach it is, we do teach it, but we actually proclaim it. It is announcement of an historical fact. We proclaim it. We know on April the 15th, 1912, that the, the Titanic sank. And it came as a declaration around the world. The Titanic has sunk. Well, it was the same on Easter Day. That first Easter Day, Christ has risen from the dead. He's alive. There's an empty tomb. The guards are as dead men. There's been an earthquake. If we go through world religions, if we look at the grave of Muhammad, he is still there. If we look at the grave of Buddha, he's still there. If we look at the grave of Confucius, he's still there. If we look at the grave of Karl Marx, he's still there, or any other great leader who's died, they're still there. If we go to the grave of Jesus, the angel says, he is not here, he has risen from the dead and is alive forevermore. <laughs> he was raised as son of God. Secondly, he was raised as king. One of the claims was sedition, that he claims to be a king. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he says this, Let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and King. He came and he set up his kingdom, the kingdom of God. And if you, my friend, are a Christian, then you are part of God's kingdom. And the kingdom is bigger than the church because the kingdom of God is about God's rule in every area of life. If you're a butcher, a dentist, a doctor, a furniture maker, whatever you do for a living, you can take God's rule and kingdom into your workplace by working well, by not getting involved in the gossip, by being reliable, and you can be a witness to the rule and the government of God in your life. I talk about my wife Ruth here because she's worthy of talking about. You know, when we first went to Australia, we went um, and Ruth had a job as a nurse. And she talked to one or two about her Christianity and they were very scathing and just brushed her aside, quite rude to her. And so she quietly just 
worked really hard. She prayed for these people and just got on with her job diligently. And after some time, they voted her to be the Nurse of the Year. She won the Nurse of the Year Award on the ward. And then she started to ask one or two people to come on an Alpha course. And many of them came. And in the end, five of her nurse friends got saved into the kingdom of God. Now that is God's rule working through my wife Ruth. Bringing his government, his kingdom into her work situation. It can happen in your school. It can happen in your office. It can happen in your family that you take God's rule and government and his peace and joy into that situation, you bring the kingdom of God. He was raised as son, he was raised as king, and is establishing his kingdom. And of his kingdom there will be no end, and we're part of the kingdom of God. But then thirdly, he was also raised as saviour. He came to save us from our sin. And it, we're told in Romans 4.25, he was raised for our justification, for our forgiveness of sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if there is no resurrection, then we are still in our sins. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation. There's no gospel. There's no hope for the world. But Christ has been raised, and he was raised for our justification. We can have assurance that our sins are forgiven because Jesus has risen from the dead. He's an acceptable offering to God, having paid for our sins. If you're a Christian, we can look at the risen Christ and realize that our sins are forgiven because Christ's offering on the cross was acceptable to his Father. Romans 6 tells us something wonderful. It says not only was Christ raised, but the Bible tells us that Christ raised us with him, and we are seated with him in heavenly realms. We've been united with him in his death and also in his resurrection. And therefore, death no longer has dominion, and sin no longer has dominion over us. We are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. And we need to consider that. We need to reckon that. We need to understand that. And then sin will not be your master. When it says that we need to reckon that, we need to realize that, it's actually an accountancy term which is used here, the Apostle Paul. If somebody gave to me a hundred pound, I put it into my bank account, I would see a hundred pound listed there. I would reckon it. It would be there. Well, it's the same with Christ. You've been set free from sin through his death and his resurrection. You now take that and put that into your spiritual bank account. My sin is paid for by Jesus. I'm declared now as righteous, as holy before God, not because I've done anything, but because Christ has died and paid for my sin and risen again. We're dead to sin and alive to God and we have to reckon that. We have to realize that's actually to our credit. It's in our bank account. And uh, we live the Christian life out of the good of that. And by doing that, the Bible tells us sin will not be your master. Sometimes people say to me, but why therefore do I still sin? 
Well, if you're, if you're dead to sin, why do I still go on sinning then? Well, this is the reason. The reason is, is that you have a body, a physical body, which has not yet been redeemed, but one day will be. And therefore, Paul tells us that we have to pommel our bodies and subject our bodies. And that means for me, it means that I have to be careful what I watch on the TV. It means that I don't get involved in the gossip. I don't get drunk with wine as I used to (laughs) get drunk. And we just have to be very careful. We don't overindulge in any activity which is unhelpful to us. We have to govern our bodies and pommel our bodies and in doing so, that sin will not be our master because we're dead to sin and alive to God. So the resurrection then, it tells us that he was raised as son, he was raised as king, he was raised as saviour, but then fourthly, he was raised as the author of life. Jesus has come to save us from two great enemies, number one, sin, but another one is death. And Peter says in Acts 3, verse 15, he says, you killed the author of life. You killed him, the author of life. What a phrase. But God raised him from the dead. You know, in the Victorian era, they spoke a lot about death. It was very common. People spoke about death all the time. But they spoke very little about sex. They hardly ever spoke about sex. It was said in Victorian England that if you went into a home where they have a grand piano, that quite often that they would have a a skirt around the base of the grand piano so that young men wouldn't be stirred up by seeing the legs of the piano. (laughs) An amusing story, but a true one. They spoke much about death and little about sex. In our day, it's the other way around. We speak loads about sex. It's on TV, it's on the advertising, people speak about it all the time. And we speak very, very little about death. People avoid it. We've developed medicines which help us and enable us to live longer. And people avoid the subject of death. And we live longer and don't have to face it in the same way that we would have had to years ago if we'd have had the Black Plague or some other virus right in front of us which people had this is not the first time that we've had a pandemic they have been pandemics in the past but not in our generation this is the first time that we've encountered a a pandemic in in my lifetime at this level and what it's done is it's brought the question of death and life what happens if we die it's brought the reality straight into our face people are having to cope with that He says in Ecclesiastes, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Rather a strange verse. But it's better to go because it brings up the reality of life that we are going to have to die one day. A hundred percent of people will have to die. We will all have to die at one stage in our life. We can't avoid that. And it's good for us to face the question, what will happen to me if I die? And people are having to ask that question in a very startling way at the moment. And the resurrection tells us this, that as Christ was raised from the dead, that he was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And the wonderful thing about the Christian message is that as Christ was raised from the dead, he was the first fruit of all those who believe in him because they also shall be raised from the dead into newness of life. Now, Christ had a resurrection body, a very different body to the one that we have at the moment. It was, but it was a body you could touch. It was a body that could eat. It was a body that could speak, you could recognize. It was a mature body, but it could pass through walls at the same time. It was a resurrection body. And the Bible tells us that too, we will have a resurrection body similar to what Jesus had. You will receive a resurrection body when you die. It's the hope, the Christian hope, and 1 Corinthians tells us all about that. So Christ, therefore, he was raised from the dead. He was raised as the Son of God. He was raised as King. He was raised as Savior. He was raised as the author of life and is alive forevermore. Maybe today you're facing death. Maybe you're very, very nervous and fearful. I can understand that. We can find a new peace when we look to the resurrected <coughs> and risen Lord Jesus, we can find that there is an answer, there is a hope, there is life after death, because Jesus rose from the dead and is alive forevermore, and it is the testimony of every Christian that they have encountered the risen Christ, and it is the foundation of the church that the church was built on the fact, the solid fact, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But as we come to a close, I want to finish with this. You see, my third thing this morning I want to say is that the resurrection power of Christ is something that we can experience right here and now. God wants us to experience His resurrection power today, <clears throat> right now, right in your lounge, in your bedroom, in your study, in your garage, wherever you're listening to this recording, he wants you to experience that power. Jesus said this. He said to his disciples in John 16, 7, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And the Holy Spirit brings assurance to us that we are the children of God. We cry now, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit testifying with our spirit that we actually are the children of God. He brings assurance that our sins are forgiven. He brings assurance through the Word of God. He illuminates the Word of God. It speaks to us. He fills us with joy <clears throat> and with peace. He gives us his strength to help us in our daily tasks and in our walk with God day by day. And he transforms us into the likeness of Christ. Let me finish with this wonderful story about the disciples, a true story. I've just read through John's Gospel. And when we get to John 21, it says the disciples 
after the death of Jesus, were locked in an inner room because of fear of the Jews. They would have been bewildered. All their dreams, all their hopes had come crashing down. Maybe some of them had lost their employment. Maybe they'd given up on their careers, abandoned what they were in, and they'd been following Jesus for three years. Maybe they'd, uh, that had caused financial risk to them. Maybe they couldn't just pick up their careers as they, they once did. I don't know the full story, but I know that they were gripped in this room in fear and trembling. They were bewildered. They were confused. The Jews had killed their leader, Jesus. They could soon round up the rest of the disciples and put them to death. They were terrified. But into that confused, bewildered situation, suddenly change came. And it came because they encountered the risen Jesus. Jesus came through the walls and stood among them. And he said this, peace be with you. And today God speaks the same word to you and to me as we're locked in with fear and concerns and worries and anxiety. He comes in his risen form and says, peace be with you. Speaks into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Peace be among you. And then he showed the disciples his hands and his side. They knew it was Jesus and the Bible tells us that they were transformed and they became glad and joyful and they worshipped him. Then another thing which happened, that Jesus then said, peace be with you. And at this time he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this small, bewildered, trembling little group was suddenly transformed by the resurrection. They were transformed as people as Jesus breathed on them and they encountered the Holy Spirit which changed their lives and transformed them and motivated them to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And my friends, at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. It says that we too are being transformed we are being changed as we behold the risen Christ, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. We behold the risen Lord Jesus, the glorious Lord Jesus. And as we do that, as we behold the glorious risen Lord Jesus, then we too are transformed from one degree of glory to another by the Holy Spirit. And today, God can transform your concerns, your worries, your fears. Yes, they're very real. They're very real. My wife is a nurse in a hospital in Brighton. She's had to look after COVID patients. I get concerned. I've been praying God. They're very real. But we can take our concerns and our worries to Jesus. We can hear his words, peace be still. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We can know his peace. We can know his assurance. We can know his victory over death. And as we behold the risen Lord Jesus, our fears are turned to joy and to gladness. 
and the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into the likeness of Christ. The resurrection is a wonderful, wonderful foundation for the Christian life and, for the, fa- and the foundation of the church. It is the foundation of the church. It is not a hoax, it is a truth, and it's a truth upon which we build our lives. God bless you. It's been lovely to be with you in Hailsham today and the villages around. I love your folks here in the church, and we pray often for Simon and Anna and for you guys that God will bless you and have his hand powerfully upon you. Let me just pray for you and with you. Father, I thank you for this dear church. I thank you for these dear people who are so precious to you. I bring this very troubled time that we're going through with uncertainty about the future, uncertainty with the present, fears of what may or may not happen. And we remember that the disciples had been in a situation like this and you came and spoke peace into their midst. I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you will come and speak peace into our troubled hearts, speak peace into our troubled minds, energize us by the Holy Spirit that we may live a life with your courage and your help and your support day by day and also be a witness to other people who are in desperate need at this time. We pray this for the glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.